Hi, I'm Chris Wigley, Chief Exec at Genomics England, and you're listening to the G Word podcast. In today's episode, we're sharing another brilliant session from the last Genomics England Research Summit, where I spoke with Professor Dame Sue Hill and Vivienne Parry about the state of genomics research and the pathway to clinical implementation. What does it take to scale an idea like whole genome sequencing diagnostics across an entire health service? Keep listening to find out more. Enjoy. And with no more ado, I want to come to our first and possibly our most important partnership of all, that with the NHS. So I'd like to welcome to the stage Sue Hill. She's Chief Scientific Officer at the NHS, but that really doesn't begin to describe what she's done for genomics. And also Chris Wigley, Chief Executive Officer of Genomics England. Welcome to you both. How lovely to be here in person with you. First of all, for Sue, as part of the NHS Genomic Medicine Service, Genomics England supports the whole genome sequencing uh, for patients with cancer and rare disease. I mean, this is a national clinical service. And I say to you all, a national clinical (laughs) service, the first in the world. But we're here talking today about genomics and research. So how do the two come together? So thank you very much, Vivian, and good morning, everyone, both those of you in the room and those of you online. They've come together, I think, Viv, over many different years, but not in a systematic way. And, uh, you know, some of the images that you're going to see behind me uh, depict the very start of the NHS in 1948. We've had genomics in the NH- uh, genetics in the NHS since that time. Uh, but what happened was the any advancement was not implemented systematically across the NHS. What really was a game changer was really understanding the amount of money we were putting into the service, but that we didn't get equitable access to all of the technologies available. That coincided, so there was variability in outcomes, variability in access. That coincided with the NHS contribution to the 100,000 Genomes Project, and NHS England controlled contributed to the NHS part of the 100,000 Genomes Project. So that was the start of an investment, a tripling of the investment in the genomic medicine infrastructure in the NHS that led to the launch of the Genomic Medicine Service in 2018. But right, what we learned from the 100,000 Genomes Project was the importance of routine care being coupled with research and development. So to really support that innovation pipeline from discovery through to translational research through to spread and adoption. And as part of the Genomic Medicine Service, we've made that one of our key principles is that routine care would be aligned with research and development. We'd work in partnership with Genomics England to introduce a national whole genome sequencing service and that when individual patients and their families consented, their data and that longitudinal data record could be pulled into the National Genomic Research Library, curated and annotated by Genomics England. And that's where you come in. 
Oh, genomics England <laughs> comes <laughs> Absolutely, in. Absolutely, no. Hopefully not me personally. That would, uh, that would mess it up. But this, um, I guess this comes right to the heart of our partnership with the NHS and our strategy as Genomics England um, in trying to bring these two worlds together of healthcare and research. And so if we maybe explain a bit how uh, this system works, on the healthcare side, as Sue's outlined, you know, this is a clinical service now where a patient will see a doctor and for diagnostic or prognostic reasons will think, ah, okay, we can, we can learn more if we sequence this person's genome. Um, we'll get a blood sample, uh, sequence that in the lab in partnership with Illumina. That data will come to Genomics England. Uh, we'll run bioinformatics pipelines, other analytics, and present results back to the NHS lab to interpret, um, send the results back to the doctor who can then treat the patient. And so that kind of closes the first loop of um, the healthcare service. That generates huge amounts of data clinical data, genomic data, operational data, and all of that helps us to learn. Um, and we can de-identify that data, we can make it available um, in a research environment for researchers to do their work, and we're going to hear a lot about that over the course of today. But then critically, the partnership with the NHS allows us to feed those insights back into clinical care. Sue may say a few words about the test directory in a, in a few minutes, that, but this is a, a learning and an innovative system where we can update um, our, our knowledge and our clinical treatment as the research moves forward. So the more we do in healthcare, the better the research asset becomes. The more we do in research, the more insights we can bring into healthcare. And so we see this as a um, you know, sort of mutually uh, reinforcing system. So give me the pitch for the researcher who thinks, what do I do with this? What should I, it, has it got any value for me? Absolutely. So um, on the research side, we, um, we now have over 60 petabytes of data. Um, so over 150,000 um, genomes, all of the billions of associated uh, clinical data points. Uh, we're bringing in high-definition um, cancer images and all sorts of other uh, assets there. The basic concept is one of what we call a trusted research environment, um, which means that the researchers come to the data. The reason there's a picture of uh, fish on the visuals here is that um, we use this metaphor of an aquarium. You can come in and admire the fish, you can study the fish, um, you can't take the fish away with you. It's an, it's an aquarium, it's not a fish shop. Um, and we uh, keep all of those data uh, safe in the, in the ways uh, outlined there, the five safes. Um, but researchers can bring their own data, they can bring their own applications so that they can um, do, what they, do what they need to do in that environment. And, and critically, there's then, as we say, this kind of live wire for bringing those insights into, to be meaningful for the treatment of patients. So there, Sue, the NHS is both the producer and the consumer of innovation. It is, and in terms of the pipeline that's been established for whole genome sequencing, you know, the first step in that pipeline is the feeding back of primary findings into the NHS. So, so when the results are tiered through the bioinformatic pipeline, that first stage is pretty straightforward, although it still needs to be validated to be returned for clinical care purposes. But the second stage is when uh, variants of unknown significance are generated. And together with all of the, the raft of data that goes along with each and individual person who's in, provided their consent for their data to be in that trusted research environment, there's the opportunity for researchers, whether they're clinician researchers, and many are in the audience today, whether they're in uh, academic departments or whether they're in industry, 
to do more work on those variants of unknown significance and establish whether they should indeed be fed back to an individual patient. And from the 100,000 Genomes Project, there's been nearly 200 uh, variants that have been fed back for clinical action. And that is at the key of what we're doing. Of course, what we want to do is make sure that the bioinformatic tools evolve so that we get primary findings that are comprehensive at the first stage. But I think bringing the two together enables diagnostic discovery with a, a, a trusted uh, mechanism for ensuring those those variants of unknown significance can then be fed back in. And of course, you've patients. got the National Test Directory, which uh, Chris mentioned earlier, which which brings together actually those discoveries because it's updated every year. And, and Vivian, that's a key part of our infrastructure. Our infrastructure that we've invested in has not only seen us appoint scientific directors in our genomic laboratory hubs, research directors in our genomic medicine service alliances, so we can bring that loop together together. It, it's established a research collaborative in conjunction with Genomics England and um, NIHR. But importantly, uh, Viv, it's enabled us to, to have a, that mechanism to feed back. And you're going to, people will hear today about the causal genes that have been identified, how clinical guidelines have been changed, and how, as part of our mandated national test directory, covering from target gene testing up to whole genome sequencing, how those can be added to that test directory in a very rapid way. So what I say is from discovery, into implementation in the NHS, that can be as quick as one year. For us to agreeing that to be part of our mandated And it used directory. to take perhaps a decade. Uh, yeah. How many clinicians have we got in the audience here? <laughs> Hands up. So these are the committed hardcore. Uh, and I'm looking at you online too, hoping there are a lot of clinicians and perhaps those who are perhaps interested in genomics but not yet sure how to implement it. So. If I am a clinician, and thankfully for patients I'm not, <laughs> what does it mean for me? Particularly if I, you know, I'm still in the genetics era and I, I'm probably a bit scared of genomics, frankly. Well, hopefully we're bringing them out from underneath that stone, Viv. Uh, that, that's, that's part of uh, our, our active. Our focus is how we embed it embed genomics systematically into the NHS, into all clinical specialties. But what this means uh, for individual patients is sometimes it's an end to a diagnostic odyssey that may have gone on for years. Um, the second is it may be a return of, of uh, a variant that's associated with the presenting symptoms of that in, informa uh, individual. But thirdly, it may help drive the access to precision medicines and other repurposed medicines. It's not all about um, precision medicines. Sometimes it's repurposing existing medicines for use in these patients. Or realising that a particular medication isn't going to work for you. Um, Exactly, and, and that's, uh, that's another part is really understanding, uh, and that's with other wrapped around genomic testing, whether adverse drug reactions uh, may, uh, may occur. So we know that Health Education England are doing some absolutely sterling work. Uh, shout out to Kate Tatton-Brown, if you're listening. <laughs> uh, fantastic to help upskill uh, the, the workforce. But Chris, 
we are doing a, an enormous amount at Genomics England to try and make uh, a user-centric uh, element to all of this information that's going out. Absolutely. And for us, the, <coughs> the interface, I guess, with um, the clinical community is really when we're reporting the results of all of the um, data analytics and bioinformatics into the seven regional uh, genomics laboratory hubs, which we can see on the, uh, on the graphic there. And <coughs> we should bear in mind that typically when we uh, sequence a patient's genome, often we're doing that with um, the genomes of each of their parents as well, um, a trio, so that we can understand what's, uh, what's new in, in the actual uh, patient themselves. Um, there is a huge amount of information there. There's the 3.2 billion uh, base pairs of DNA. We're looking at the differences in that DNA against all of the other uh, DNA out there in the reference genomes, in, um, in other data sets. As Sue says, you know, which of the variants do we know about? Which ones are um, uncertain? And so on. And the work of um, our teams on the, the interpretation side is to try and um, present all of that information distilled down to what are the most important insights so that a really busy, busy clinical team can understand um, the headlines of that um, as quickly as possible, but also have the, the tools and the opportunity to kind of dig into more details um, if there are pieces that they want to uh, go deeper on. So what he's really saying is don't be frightened. You're not going to get 10 books worth of <laughs> numbers and letters that you've got no idea about. You're getting the headlines. Um, Sue, we talked at the beginning about uh, the NHS at its, uh, at its outset. I noticed, by the way, there was a politician talking to a patient in a bed. Doesn't change, does it? Uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, but one of the issues that there is always when rolling out something new is about equity of access, that you see some places you know, going along really well, but other places still uh, struggling. And uh, levelling up is really important uh, not only at the moment, but we know that there have been a lot of disparities in healthcare services. So how are we going to make sure that genomics is not just the preserve of major hospitals? So right from the outset, so in 2018 when we launched the NHS Genomic Medicine Service, we had a number of key principles that the service was founded on. One of those was that it would be clinically led. The second is it would drive equitable access because we knew that had been a problem previously within the service. Uh, and the third is patients and their, their families would be informed uh, and involved uh, individuals in, in the service right from the outset and it would be data driven. Equity of access, because we've got a mandated test directory, that sets out what every single patient in the NHS, if they're eligible, should receive, irrespective of whether they're in Nuneaton or whether they're in the centre of London, which is really critical. But the important thing is, how do we measure that? And uh, we've introduced within uh, the NHS patient-level contract monitoring, which means we can... In monitor what each patient actually gets in terms of the test and that includes whole genomes but also the technology that's been used the t time it takes to get that uh, response and whether we've actually got informed consent for their data to enter the genomics england trusted research environment and to date vivian in in uh the whole genome sequencing conditions that we've got eligible uh, for uh, whole genome sequencing, we've got a consent rate of 94%, which means there's only a relatively small number of people not 
making a choice for their data to enter that trusted research environment. Our next step, and this is why it's so exciting, I think, to have the first of these conferences, Chris, is to ensure that in that trusted research environment, all the genomic data that's generated in the NHS actually becomes part of it. So that includes our large cancer gene panels where we're running panels in the NHS of up to 600 uh, targets, DNA and RNA targets, as well as all the other specialist uh, gene panels that are run for rare disease and uh, obviously some of our our common diseases, that will make it a really comprehensive database, mm. won't it, uh, you know, Chris? And linked with other, the other developments in informatics I in the NHS, um, bring uh, to uh, the research environment all the other data sets that are critical to interpreting the genomic data. Yeah. And patients can play a key role, I think, in trying to uh, promote and uh, uh, make sure that these services are actually being rolled out. And we've got a very different situation in the UK to in the US, where you know we, the, the beauty of the single NHS number that follows us throughout our lives has made inequity less of a problem. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it can sound like a cliche, but it's so true. Obviously, all of this work, both on the research side and on the clinical side, only exists in order to bring benefit to, to patients, which ultimately is all of us. And Sue so mentioned the 94% number about people um, sharing their data with the research community, which is fantastic, but is only happening and only possible because of a level of trust that's been built up over time. Now, you've both got a patient story to illustrate what's been achieved. Uh, Sue, let's start with you. So, so this isn't actually a, a story from... Uh, the 100,000 Genomes Project, but it's from our... We'll let you off with a caution. So, yeah, thank <laughs> you. Our non-invasive prenatal uh, testing service that's just identified genes associated with the development of retinoblastoma. Uh, and that was uh, identified very, very quickly. There are about 50 babies a year uh, born with retinoblastoma that can either lead to blindness or uh, to them losing their life. And so we're rapidly rolling out that, that testing. But what we do know is, and Claire Shoveling is going to be presenting today, um, some data about respiratory patients, actually, from the 100,000 Genomes Project, which means causal genes have been found, for example, in, in neuro, uh, pneumothorax, but also in HHT, uh, which is a hemorrhagic uh, this is a respiratory you know. physiologist speaking. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, um, and what, uh, what the research, uh, the Genomics England Clinical Interpretation Partnership around res uh, respiratory disease found was causal genes in both of those conditions. It's led to changes in guidelines and we've rapidly added uh, gene targets onto the test directory. Fantastic. One from you, Chris. Two very quick ones, if I may, Viv. So one is, one is more of very a quick. conceptual one, which is um, it's, it's really always super inspiring to see the research community who we have with us today feeding back um, diagnoses in, into the healthcare system that can help those individual patients. Um, we think we'll do over a thousand of those this year, hugely inspiring. And just to end on a sort of human moment, Sue and I had an email from a, a colleague who's on the front line of delivering the whole genome uh, sequencing service in the NHS. A mum had come in, uh, with a sick kid, not from a privileged background, um, had six kids, and she had, like many parents, got super smart about this condition, had said, look, I know that whole genome sequencing is going to give the best insights for my kid. 
how much do I have to raise? Who do I give the money to? My husband's going to run a marathon. We're going to we're going to do a fundraiser, and the doctor said, no, no, this is this is now available for free on the NHS. Um, and I think that's just such an incredible human moment. And the more of those kind of human moments that we can create together, the more successful these, these kinds of partnerships will be. And ultimately, that's where all the research goes to, is those, those human moments. Fantastic. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. If you've enjoyed listening, please do give us a five-star review. This really helps others to find out about the podcast. And if you have any suggestions of topics or guests, do get in touch with us at podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. That's podcast at genomicsengland.co.uk. Join in the national conversation on genomics, and we'll see you on the next episode of The G Word.